Welcome to Tinto Talks, the hub of all things perinatal. My name's Octavia and I will be talking about all things pregnancy related and beyond. We'll be covering specialist topics from experts in the field and collect a spectrum of real life stories from parents who've been there and done that. Our aim is to offer unbiased, evidence-based information, but also shed light on the joys and challenges of parenthood to support each unique journey. There really is something here for everyone. Finally, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, let us know. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and prepare to feel supported, inspired, and informed. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. We got there. <laughs> we did a bit of bit of technical nonsense. Sorry about I, that. It's okay. I literally think every single one of my live videos is going to start like this with everybody, <laughs> like this kind of panicked. You know, are you are we there? Can we hear each other? Is there an echo? Um, it's all good. It's all good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's kind of like the witching hour as well. It's past bedtime for most new mothers. So, yes. <laughs> thank you for coming and joining us so late. But um, so you are here today to share with us your journey um, of being diagnosed with cervical cancer and then the radical treatment that you had. Um, but the most amazing part of the story is the grand finale having Eleanor. Yeah, against all of the odds, really. So, um, so yeah, yeah, thank you so much. So if you could just start by just telling us a little bit about you um, and then we'll kind of get into your story. So uh, about me, um, my name's Philippa and I, uh, I'm a photographer. Amazing. Um, although I haven't done much of that in the last, well, year and a half. Um, and because I decided to, well, have a baby. Um, and don't get me wrong, it didn't just take a year and a half to have her, and I'll get on to that. Uh, but yes, I am a happy new mother, uh, 42 years old, um, and I feel about 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> um, apart from all the aches and pains. <laughs> How old's Eleanor now? Eleanor is seven and a half months. Amazing. And she's thriving. She's the really happy baby um so yeah all is well with Eleanor after Amazing. a very tricky start yeah so so take us right back to the beginning when were you first diagnosed with um cervical cancer well I was <laughs> first diagnosed at my second ever smear test um which I think are called okay. cervical screenings now yeah um and I was 28 actually I thought I was 29 but I was 28 Okay. Um, and I, I went for my regular screening, um, didn't think anything of it. When I got the results back, they uh, showed abnormal cells. Again, I thought nothing about that uh, because apparently one in three of us have, have abnormal cells. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a little weird when I was called to the hospital. Mm. Um, about, it was a while later, actually. It was about six or seven weeks. It, it was it was a long oh, wow, time. Wow, quite a delay, isn't it? Yeah, a big delay. Um, I was called to the hospital, and so I cycled there, uh, like I Love. always did, cycled everywhere. Um, and I was called into a room uh, with one doctor, and I was told to sit down. And uh, 30 seconds later, the doctor said, actually, before we start, I'm going to call in a nurse. Gosh. I thought, that's weird as well. Uh, yeah. But still didn't really think bad news was coming. Anyway, 
Um, it transpired that after a lot of very long, complicated Latin words, the nurse turned to me and said, you have stage one cervical cancer. Wow. And she then quickly handed me a Macmillan card. Um, <laughs> like that's going to fix it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then gave me a hug which was also a little, <laughs> little weird. Uh, and so and you were on my your card, own, you poor And thing. I was on my own, yeah. Wow. She gave me her business card and she said, this is going to be a big shock. I can see it's a big shock. Go home, uh, talk to your family. Yeah. And here's my business card, ring me anytime. Okay. So in fact, I did ring her because I didn't really believe it. Mm, uh, so that was a, a day or two later. Yeah. Um, just before you carry on, I just for anybody who's not had a cervical screen, I just kind yeah. of want to just go through, like, first of all, what it is, and also like how it comes about. So, all women between the age of um, twenty-five and sixty-five are offered a screen, mm-hmm. um, or and it's also advised once you're sexually active, and it's every three years, and then once you get to your fifties, they become every five years. Yeah. And basically, what they do is you you're lying on the bed and you have your knees up, and they put a speculum into your vagina, and they do a little swab on the cervix, which yeah. we'll go through in a minute. I've got an anatomy little diagram <laughs> for later on. Um, Any, because I was thinking like just trying to explain that, so it might be worth doing that. Um, and then what they're looking for is the um, human papillomavirus, HPV virus, mm. and um, abnormal cells. And there's three results that you can get. So you can get um, no virus and normal cells, which is great. Yeah. You come back in three years. Then you have um, uh, the virus with normal cells, which then they'll basically get you back within a year just to check it because you it, you might have the virus but you might not have abnormal cells you can even have abnormal cells that don't go into anything because it, it's a very common virus yeah. and it can just you know clear up uh, but you're basically monitored a lot more closely and then the third one which is what you had was that you had the virus and the abnormal cells which yeah. is where they get you in to do further tests and so had they done further tests and um, by the when you went back in or was it just straight in you've got cancer no, they so they did the regular smear test in the doctor's surgery, and then I was sent. Then um, I was sent for a colposcopy, which is where they put a camera inside and have a really good look. It's not it's not a swab; it's actually a camera. Um, and actually, they showed me on the screen. That was bizarre. Here's your inside. Um, but uh, then that's when they then took a they then took another piece of the cervix, a tiny little sort of um little pinch, really. And that's when they, yeah, but it was, but it was really tiny. Um, Mm. And that's when they said they're cancer cells. And then I went for a cone biopsy. Okay. So if a colposcopy, my understanding is if a colposcopy doesn't show, show them the results, basically, they then do a cone biopsy, which is where they cut a sort of a slice of, a slice of cervix out. Mm. Um, And they then, then they put that under the microscope and they do tests on that. So that was a bigger and that was after your diagnosis or before that was after my diagnosis yeah fine 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 okay fine and then Um, what was the what was you said you mentioned before that the consultant was um not particularly pleasant when he first yeah he wasn't he wasn't great he was he was brilliant um and he saw me through what eight to ten years um he, he was so good and he was also the surgeon. Um, but when I was called into his um, office, his Harley Street office, no less, you know, Lovely. crazy, this is all NHS, and then you end up in Harley Street. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, with my mum, 
Uh, and he sat me down and he said, what could have caused it? Um, he, he sort of took me through, this is the virus, um, th this is how it can happen. And he suggested that I may have been promiscuous. And I, rem I don't remember anything else from that appointment. <laughs> I just that. remember thinking, oh, my God, you're accusing me of this. Yeah. My mother's sitting right here. It's also have... kind of putting a blame on you as well. Oh, like, even if you dreadful. were. Like... Well, quite. Yeah. I mean, just don't... what's the point? You know, yeah. what's the point? Just say it's caused by the virus. Well, exactly. And I think the key point about this is that it's a really common virus. Um, most people have yeah. it. Um, yeah. It can give you all sorts of different symptoms, such as warts or, you know, genital warts, all sorts of different things. And some go on to cause cancer and it can be from having sex it can be from mm. just close contact with people it's just yeah. one of these things like that yeah. you get you know and it's just so common and it's it's not necessarily from being promiscuous or exactly exactly anyway. but i yeah but that's all i remember i mean how does that whole appointment <laughs> must have been an hour yeah why and I think she's probably listening as well, and maybe she'll remember. <laughs> she, that's all she remembered from the meeting as well. <laughs> so what have we like? What's the next stage? I don't know, darling, but have we? <laughs> uh, so what? What was the next stage? What did they say? What was what? What did they say was the next plan stage of so, management? Um, the during that appointment, he actually, I, I do remember one other one other bit. He offered me either a hysterectomy. Um, or a trachelectomy. Now, a hysterectomy is obviously removing the whole of your uterus. Um, I'm not sure if they remove the fallopian tubes and ovaries, but yeah. anyway, it would have meant that I couldn't have had a baby. So at 28 years old, it was recommended that I had a trachelectomy. And a yeah. trachelectomy is where they remove the whole cervix and just mm. the very top of the vagina. Yeah. Um, and they put a stitch in place so that your basically your uterus doesn't fall out. Um, now I shall bring in my diagram. <laughs> so, okay, oh, so I literally had to, I have to admit, I had to look this up. So firstly, 44% uh, of women know where the sense is, the rest of people don't. So that's another no reason way. why. So, I mean, you've got your, um, most people recognise this, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes. This is the uterus at the top here. You've got your cervix right at the top of the vagina, which is this long tunnel here. And basically the cervix has got um, a few different roles. Um, which are guiding the sperm up towards the uterus um, and to find the egg when you when you are having sex um, to keep out things like um, you know bath water or tampons or dirty things when you're not pregnant not necessarily dirty things but you know things that don't want to be out there. Um, be there. <laughs> this is my technical explanation. <laughs> I hope there is some um, medical students watching. <laughs> Um, and then when you're pregnant, this is where it really comes into play is basically this is lots of muscles around here and it closes. You'll see here we have a baby. Um, so it keeps the baby in and you had um, the option is having the stitch basically to help keep that yeah. cervix closed, keep the baby in place. And then one of the main things it does is stop premature labour. Um, and allow the, baby, the body to know when to go into um, labour and then start to do contractions and stuff. And that is what they are feeling for when they see how dilated you are. I've got yeah. lots of laughing of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My excellent description. Um, so, yeah, and you can feel your cervix if you are, um, it, it, when you're kind of going up internally, um, it feels like the tip of your nose. So that's kind of the sorts of things that, yeah. yeah. 
anyway <laughs> so that um, was taken away <laughs> yeah fine and then obviously so that makes sense so th- they also said to you that it would affect or could affect your ability to carry a baby basically didn't they yeah so he gave me um a 40 percent when I bear in mind I'm 28 years old mm. so at 28 years old I was given a 40 percent chance of ever having a live birth so um, and they don't use the word baby, really, do they, medically? They're just saying no. live birth. And no. that, of course, covers all things like, um, well, you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so that was when I was 28. So my chances of having a baby were already lower than half. Mm. Um, and, of course, I've just had a baby and I'm 42. Wow. So I had a baby when I was 41. So my chances while we were during IVF were put at between 20 and 25%. Wow. ever having a live birth so Crazy. and actually I think it was probably less than that um yeah because age and well etc and all the other things that happened along the way <laughs> yeah quite <laughs> come to. that was the etc um, and they also looked at your lymph nodes they, they did they take yes. some of your lymph nodes out as they well? did so they took those out because um as everybody probably knows once cancer is in the lymph nodes it, it can then travel all over the body Mm. so that was um that was a nice surprise when I woke up here here it hasn't gone to your lymph nodes so yeah, there was a very course. big sigh of relief from I think everyone mm. um so I was lucky I was lucky because I went to my smear test mm. I didn't not yeah. go you know I just I went the other other thing that um about the tracheolectomy is that they actually only offer it to people who are in the very early stages of cancer um and it's also you i think you told me this but also when i read about it it's um it's a quite specialist treatment but when you did it it was it only just been yes uh, started Um, is that right so i think there were between three and four hundred cases worldwide wow um which yeah it's so so few And it's given, so you, your option of having it is if you um, obviously have a, a very early stage of cancer, but also if you um, are in the stage of life where you would like to go on to have a baby. So it would make mm-hmm. sense, you know, to to just do as radical a surgery as possible if you're past having Absolutely. children, because obviously you just want to rule out it ever coming back, you know, um, yeah. or, or if it's spread at all. Um, and did they put the stitch in straight away at the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, something has to go there. It's got to be closed somehow. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the option to a stitch would be, but um, yeah. yeah, the stitch then caused me problems later yeah. in the pregnancy, which, which I'll come to later. Yeah. So when did you start thinking about having a baby? Because you were, you were, as you say, only 28, 29 at that age. Yeah. So, still so young. <laughs> I, yeah, really young. And of course, probably like most young girls, women, I thought about having a baby with every single boyfriend I was with. You know, you just do. You think, oh, what if, what if? Um, so I always knew I wanted to have a baby or or lots of babies. I actually thought I was going to have eight or nine. Yeah. <laughs> That's never going to happen. <laughs> and now you're like, one will do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> eight um, or nine. That's extreme. <laughs> yeah, cow cuckoo land. We can do an interview um, with you then when you've got... <laughs> imagine... <laughs> You won't be feeling 25 then. No way. (laughs) So, can I, sorry, can I just ask as well, did you, you didn't have chemo or radiotherapy either? No, so there were, because the cancer hadn't spread, 
Um, again, I was lucky. So I didn't mm-hmm. need any treatment. I just, you know, had a couple of weeks recovery um, and I got, got back to life. And actually something I wanted to say was um, a lot of people, when they've had a scare like that, mm. they would think, okay, let's be really sensible now. Let's give this up, give that up, <laughs> you know, let's become vegan or, or just, you know, just change something radical. Um, I, and I probably am still a little like this. I was I'm quite <laughs> optimistic, but I just decided that I was by that time 29 and I thought, mm, no, I want to, I really want to live if, Amazing. This, this this has been a bit of a close call. I want to just go and do stuff. So I did for a while. <laughs> but that's what it's, a, you know, like I think, there, as you say, there's two ways of doing this, but it's a really positive way of coming out of something really scary. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah. life is there to be lived, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was, you know, 29, living in Notting yeah. Hill, having a ball. And it was it was great. Very strangely, your house backs on to my house. We found out the other day. You can see my I love YouTube. that. <laughs> you kept um, me up. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to when you started thinking about babies. But yeah, yeah when, so, did, when did that happen? I was, um, I was 36 <laughs> when I met um, my boyfriend. And it was actually that year. The year I met him, we went on holiday and we thought, actually, this would be great. Let's have a baby together. Yeah. So we started trying pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I really should have known because, you know, when you're trying for a baby without having to spell it out, it, it should, you know, you're, you're really trying and it really shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't take that long, really, if you're healthy. Yeah. Um, so I really should have gone. Although they do to stay the up to sooner. two years, don't they? I mean, all the IVF stuff like you've got to have been actively trying oh, for I two know. years, which feels like such a long time. <laughs> such a long time. I think after three months, I was like, "There's something wrong. There's something wrong." And yeah. all my friends and doctors were like, "There's nothing wrong. Just like you know, chill out." And well, <laughs> I wasn't very chilled, needless to mm. say. Um, and. I did go to the doctor after about a year and a half and I did tell a little white lie. I did say, look, we've been trying for more than two years. I think a lot of people um, do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I should really should have gone after two months. But. Did you kind of start the conversation with, I've had cervical cancer and we've been trying for a baby or did you say we're trying for a baby? I mean, obviously it's in your um, notes, but sometimes, yeah. you know, because that's quite a fairly uh, important part because as yes, the next part of the and I didn't. Says, yeah, and I didn't. Um, so I, I'm... I remember clearly I went in there and I said, I'm not pregnant, help me. And mm. it wasn't until she, because I think I was in denial really about the yep. cervical cancer. Um, you know, we're very good at pushing things to the back of our minds, aren't we, as mm. humans? Mm. Um, and especially and, because it all turned, you know, you didn't have to go through the kind of chemo and radiotherapy, not saying that, so, you know, radical surgery isn't as, as traumatizing or even mm. just a diagnosis, but it's, you know, from, from what I've heard, you know, the, the experience of going through chemo and radiotherapy is it's so drawn out and it's so hideous oh, yeah. that, you know, you'd it probably be a little bit more, you know, but anyway, yeah. carry on. Again, I was lucky. Mm. So, you know, she, she, the doctor, she was a lovely Spanish doctor on Westbourne Grove. I remember her so well. She was a locum. Um, and she said, right, we're going to get you to the hospital. And she put me in an appointment. I think it was probably two, maybe eight or nine weeks later. Um, and I was in St. Mary's hospital and they were having a look and they said, yeah, well, we can't see any reason, but we need to get inside. So that's when they decided to do the dye test where they mm-hmm. flush dye down your fallopian tubes mm-hmm. to see basically if they're, um, blocked. Yeah. Um, and he would, 
again, he was a great doctor, one of one of the best fertility doctors, apparently. I mean, everyone always says, oh, yeah, he's the best, she's the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, apparently Depends he was. when they're the best, doesn't it? Yeah, they were once the best. 50 years ago. <laughs> exactly. My husband always says, it's not what you did, it's what you're doing now. Yeah, people always say to me, you're only as good as your last photograph. Wow. And I think, oh, my God, that was a terrible <laughs> shoot. It wasn't my best. <laughs> No, you're um, back in the game. I'm back in the game. Yeah. Um, so, actually, what what happened then is the the surgeon who did my trachelectomy, he um, I got in touch with him and I said basically I can't get pregnant. Please, can you give any words of wisdom or yeah. can you just can I just talk to you about it? And he's he's um he's a busy guy. Yeah. Uh, and he actually got back to me and he said, you know what? Um, let's have a phone call. Uh, let me talk to the guy you're talking to at St. Mary's. Um, Incredible. Because he specializes in cancer and this wasn't an oncology case. So, but he actually did the dye test for me. And I guess, I don't know, it wasn't out of the kindness of his heart. He probably wanted to go in there and check out. Yeah, you know, surgery. Eight years on. How's my surgery holding up? How's the stitch? So, yeah. but I, it was, I really appreciated it. I felt very looked after. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was able to to see that actually the fallopian tubes had been squashed both and of both of them had been squashed, which wow. is unusual. And he didn't apologize, but he did tell me I probably did it when I did your trachelectomy. And he didn't say sorry. But I feel like he wanted to say sorry. It's but you a know tough these one, surgeons. Though, isn't it? Yeah, and also there are risks with all surgery and it was a new technique and yeah. you know, like I guess, you know, it, it probably is so easy. Maybe had you not been able to go through and have a baby, you know, go on to have a baby, then you would probably have much more of a blame game, you know, going on and, mm. you know, who knows what, you know. But um, I think, you know, it's a tough one, isn't it? Why, sh- you know, yeah. that, that I'm sure before he sat you down for the surgery, he probably read through all the different risks that could possibly yes. happen and, you know. And I bet they are in black and white and I probably signed the piece of paper, but yeah, exactly. know, there, were, there were also <laughs> probably 15,000 yeah. risks on there. Exactly. Um, so... Fine. Yeah. Um, so that, but, I, but yeah, that was great. Felt looked after. Um, and um, how old were you at this point? So I was, I'm losing track of my age, but I must have <laughs> been 30. Oh, it was 39. That's right. 39. So this was about four, yeah. four or five months before my 40th birthday. Wow. And um so you're getting when you're looking at IVF now, looking at the yeah. nice guidelines and the postcode lottery, you're getting yeah. pretty close to that cutoff Quite. point. Yeah. And so the um my consultant said, Right, let's get you into IVF straight away. Mm. And I sort of looked at him a bit wild eyed and he said, This is your only option. Um you've got four or five months before the cutoff in Kensington and Chelsea. You cannot have IVF on the NHS after your 40th birthday. So let's just get started. And I was like wow. a bunny in the headlights and I thought, yeah, OK, then. So even though I was fit, I yeah. wasn't as healthy as I probably could have been. Yeah. But anyway, we have we took all the drugs, harvested loads of eggs. Um, very, very 22 quickly. on the first 22. Round. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, 
And then it was Christmas. Yeah. So we got all the eggs in the bank and it was Christmas. I guess, um, sorry, the other thing that's worth saying that it's not just about the eggs. So um, the, the other thing you, I remember when you t- told me about this was that you, you got your 22 eggs and then actually you ended up getting 11 embryos. Yes, yeah, sorry. So I've missed out. Yeah. So Phil then had to do his bit. Um, and this was still on the NHS, actually. So he mm. did his bit. We then got 11 embryos, which, again, was a fantastic number for a 40-year-old. Mm. Yeah, it's um, And we were also told at the time, and I don't think there's, I, I don't think this is um, agreed everywhere, but apparently frozen embryos make, um, there are more, I, I, can't, I can't put it into words, um, your, your chances of having a baby from a frozen embryo are more than a fresh embryo. I mean, go that's figure. interesting. Very, there is there is some evidence to suggest that, but not everybody buys yeah. into it. So anyway, we had to have them frozen mm. because I was about to turn forty. We couldn't have had them put in because it was also Christmas, so things were shutting down. Um, mm. So we had all these eleven embryos frozen. Mm. The other thing you said to me that um, was that you found uh, the whole process just really hard because like, every day they yeah. call you up and you say you've yeah. got you know. 22 eggs and like oh, oh no, you've awful. only got 11 awful. embryos and then each time they would call you up and tell you that one yeah. had died or yeah had... it's so bad and actually that was that wasn't on the first go so the care wasn't as good and this was in a big hospital in London mm. um and I just didn't I didn't really feel feel particularly safe and it was all a big hurry remember so I hadn't mm. had a big run-up to you're going to have IVF I'd mm. been told I couldn't have a baby naturally quickly have IVF so <laughs> Um, even though you've been trying for three years yeah yeah quite yeah <laughs> quite but I mean it yeah but I didn't I, don't, I think I was in cloud cuckoo land again you yeah. know I was in denial I'm not going to need IVF yeah. um, but yeah so the second round that did happen and it was a case of we've lost one overnight it didn't make it it didn't split it didn't this it didn't that oh god yeah that was hideous I was just going to say, going back to the first round, we then moved to Hampshire, um, f- sort of halfway through that, um, when I turned 40. So it happened at exactly the same time. Um, they collected the eggs, we moved to Hampshire, um, and then we had to get the frozen embryos from London couriered to Hampshire. So I was given the option of picking them up on the train, bringing them home on the train, or booking an expensive courier so I decided to book the expensive courier um so they were then safely in Hampshire Mm. so we then waited a few months before we started round two so we started round two full of optimism and I was really fit and really healthy um you know I stopped painting my nails I barely used the microwave I didn't use Tupperware you know all these things I wasn't doing where did you you get all the research like did you research all these different tips about how to kind of have the best actually oh that's what I was supposed to send you wasn't I yeah Um, yeah yeah a friend of mine has had some very expensive IVF and her I think it was Harley Street or somewhere top-notch allegedly top-notch um had (laughs) sent her a uh a massive document of, of do's and don'ts for IVF and it was and she had passed on these tips and I didn't do them all but I did the ones I've just mentioned and I stopped cycling in traffic because that was another biggie yeah. um but yes yeah, because, because of the toxins or because of the toxins yeah just the pollution and stuff mm. and um it'd be great but, to get that document so that I know yeah people to I, I forgot to ask I'll, I'll get it, it for you yeah yeah um so round two started in Hampshire a few months later. We found a lovely clinic in Southampton 
Um, it wasn't a hospital this time because even though hospitals do pave the way with research, etc., mm. um, they I just I had a bad hospital experience, uh, mm. and I wanted something just a bit more personal. So I chose mm. Wessex Fertility, and they were excellent. So I was on all the drugs, ready for for one of my embryos to be put back in the ones that I'd made in London, um, and sadly and I don't know why I'm smiling now probably because I've now got Eleanor but <laughs> yeah it was absolutely devastating we lost um all of those embryos so they all basically when they thawed they all died oh um, I just can't even imagine the... it was it was such a blow and actually it's making me shake a bit now mm. um and Phil was brilliant he He's very good at picking us up and saying, okay, that's happened. What that's can we cool. do? Nothing. Yeah. Let's just get on. Let's just start the whole process again. So I stopped the drugs that I had been taking for implants yeah. and um, had a break then. I think, you know, one of the things that, like, other than the, the trauma of, the, of that happening, but now, like, the financial implication of that is that oh you had God, all yeah. of that on the NHS originally. Um, you know, you'd only spent, like, um, £1,200. And then second time yeah. round, you... Um, it's actually, questions just come in. Uh, uh, yeah, what's the average running cost of storage? That's a good question. Oh, the embryos. I think it was £300 a year. Yeah, £300 a year. Yeah, and then but then to go and harvest the next round of eggs cost you ten thousand pounds, and that is just like another yeah, so, kick in the teeth. Like, yeah, and now so a you're whole round forty, so you've got to do it all on your own, like you know, with yeah. on your own back, should I say? Yeah, and we did, and I must admit, um, well, it, we knew we wanted a baby. Yeah. We knew it was going to be expensive. We didn't actually think of the money. No. Um, and I'm sure and he does in that scenario. Well, well obviously, incredibly crippling, actually, for a lot of people. It, it, yeah, exactly. And it it set us back and it cost us a lot. And in fact, I kept a spreadsheet, but I had to stop because it was just racking up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a whole round is expensive because the putting an embryo in is about two grand, the actual transfer with all the um, scan appointments included in that. Mm. But actually harvesting the eggs is a very expensive part, very expensive. Yeah. The drugs are very expensive, the harvesting, the um, the fertilisation, because they, they get done in a Petri dish. Yeah. So all of that, you know, that is very expensive. So, yes, it was just above 10 grand. Wow. Um, the second round. Mm. Um, but luckily with the second round, again, we got lots of eggs and lots of embryos. Mm. But we were we were recommended to do a screening test, so to send the embryos off to somewhere in Oxford to have them genetically screened. And I was really against it, really, really against it. Um, again, Phil, very practical. Let's do it. It's another two grand. What's another two thousand on top yeah. of all the money we've spent? We're forty. He's a bit older than me, um, so we decided to go for it. Uh, and lucky that we did because we had four embryos at this stage, and the screening, just in case people don't know, tests for all sorts of chromosomal deficiencies. And um, for people over 40, they really highly recommend it. And lots of people wouldn't want to do it. And I can understand why, but I'm so mm. glad we did, because out of those four embryos, two would have been no good. They, they, they just, they wouldn't have, they either wouldn't have been a live birth or they would have wow. not been well babies. So, mm. I'm so pleased. So we were then left with two embryos. 
one was put in um and very sadly I miscarried that one Mm. um and then it took a couple of a few months to get over that um Mm. and actually it was my dad who said just get on and do it now because I was dithering and thinking oh I don't want to go through this again yeah 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 Yeah. um but I did I we had it put in and that was Eleanor no, but they, it, they, it wasn't an easy ride from there, though, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was hideous. Oh God! Um, and I've missed out all sorts of things, but I, I'm yeah. aware of the time, so yeah. I, I can't go into too much detail. But um, yeah, so the shall I talk about the pregnancy? A bit? Yeah, just yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, tell us, talk us through kind of what yeah, happened, so, and then and then the the birth, yeah. So we were scanned every other week for the first uh, 10 weeks, I think, by the clinic. Um, and everything was fine. It was a, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Um, and then we were let, let go into the NHS. Um, yeah. And I was a bit nervous because I'd had all this hand-holding. Yeah. Um, and you only get, you know, you get two scans, I think, on the NHS. Yeah. And it is such um, a worrying time, even for somebody who's having a normal, you know, a, a, just a smooth ride. You know, I think everybody is just racked with absolutely. worry. <laughs> absolutely it is. Yeah. Because we, we know all the things that can go wrong these days. Yeah. Um, so I was passed over. Um, oh, I think my headphones, was that you beeping or was that me? It wasn't me, no. Uh-oh. Dun, 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 dun. We've got 15 um, minutes. <laughs> ah, so my, um, yeah, so pregnancy was working uh, yeah. for the first few weeks, but um, it all ended up working, that is, because I went to a shoot in London at a hospital, oddly, um, and uh I started bleeding and it was bad bleeding um, and it ended up with me and A&E and I thought I'd lost the baby um, but I hadn't it was a crazy crazy miracle she was still there yeah um, and basically what had happened is the cervix where the cervix should have been there were just lots of blood vessels and mm-hmm. from the working I had uh, basically it had been rubbing and it had caused a lot of bleeding. So I was signed off work. Uh, like so two months long. into the pregnancy. I'm going to change these. Okay. <laughs> it's Philip on the side doing the technical. <laughs> I love it. You might, if you speak now, there might not be an echo. Hello. Okay, I'm back. Oh, hello. back, sorry. No, no, not at all. Well done. Um, so you were you were so, work on pretty much not bed rest, but you know, relaxation. no, not bed rest, but just don't go to work basically. And yeah. if you do go to work, just sit down. And I thought, well, I'm a photographer. Like, yeah. Photographers can't sit down, so that was it. Um, mm. It was really, really, really hard to give up all of the jobs I had booked in for that year. Yeah, of course, um, I, I had a beautiful wedding booked in that I was so excited about doing, and I had to let them down, and I mm. just. Still almost can't forgive myself. <laughs> well, it's weird. weird. Job some some jobs just get to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah they of course, did. Of course yeah. they did. But some things you just really want to do. Yeah, of course. Um, so I gave everything away. And it took me months of um, sort of meditation and just really thinking and spending time on my own and mm. to realise that actually this was really important. Yeah. I was growing a baby and it hadn't been easy. Yeah. And I just had to let go of the work and the business that I'd, you know, spent years building up. 
But that's amazing because I think a lot of people would just sit there, could sit there and just go into like a worry mode and almost like, you know, allow the anxiety to build and build. Mm. So that's incredible that you were able to turn it into, once again, a positive thing. And you've clearly got a really good head on your shoulders, you know, to be able to just understand, you know, the importance of it and, and see it in that positive light. And I think, you know, that's great. It's great, you know, it's, but yeah, it must have been really tough, you know. It was horrible. It was horribly mm. tough. And I spoke it's to a lot of other time. professionals. It's a long month, long, yeah. you know, nine yeah. months as well. Really long. And then and we had, we were well looked after by the NHS. And having said they only, you only allowed two scans, actually, they scanned us so many times. Brilliant. Um, and we had a lovely consultant in Winchester um, who actually was so honest with us. And she said, um, Basically, there might be some problems here. I think you should have your baby in Southampton because <laughs> this might go wrong, that might go wrong. They've got the neonate. They've got the neonate exactly. unit there. Yeah. Exactly. And surgeons who specialise in um, oncology in case uh, the cervical cancer reared its head or, mm-hmm. or caused something to happen or, mm. you know, just there were more people yeah. on hand. I guess the other thing that's worth mentioning is that when you have the tracheolectomy, you are you have to have a C-section as well. Because, you have to, you know, yeah. Yeah, you have to. Fine. And that was never a problem for me. Um, I, there were lots of people saying, oh, I have to have a natural birth. I just, I don't think I was ever no. one of them, really. No. Um, so then tell us what happened then um, in November. Um, so I was doing less and less and less because Which I was the feeling... Which before the birth, yeah. Yeah, months before. So Eleanor was due on Boxing Day, so the 26th of December. Um, we always knew we would probably have her, well, we knew we would have her early because of the C-section. Yeah. But we were always told we would probably have her even earlier than that, so to expect her, well, you know, well, whenever, really. Um, yeah. So every time I went to see the consultant, she said, we've just got to get you to 24 weeks. We've just got to get you to 28 weeks. So it was that mm. all the way along. Mm. So I was doing less and less because I was getting more and more tired. Um, bear in mind, I'm 41. And I always put it down to being 41. <laughs> too old, really. Um, uh, and um, I was lying on the sofa one day on, it was November the 13th. I was lying on the sofa, literally doing nothing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, something feels strange. And I thought, I'm bleeding. So, and I was. And I freaked out because bear in mind the whole of the first three or four months I'd been bleeding, yeah. which had resulted in an enormous bleed. Um, so I freaked out. So we went straight to Winchester Hospital. Didn't, of course, take the baby bag or my bag or any of that because <laughs> yeah. you know, it was not it was for another six weeks. Ages, yeah. Mm. Um, we got to a hospital. They checked me over, did all those nasty things they do. Um, the bleeding had actually lessened um but they were still worried so they said uh we're going to keep you in here overnight and I thought that's fine I'm in Winchester I'm all cared for then suddenly somebody came in and said actually you're going to Southampton this is too worrying for us in Winchester you're going to Southampton so they blue lighted me down the M3 you know emergency all the way to Southampton which freaked me out because it I didn't think it was an emergency and it actually wasn't not that day um, so we got to Southampton and the C-section was then planned for the 9th of December. Uh, so that was that was fine. That was just a couple of, you know, a few weeks before the due date. But while I was in Southampton, the bleeding just, it got more and more. Um, and so eventually after I'd lost, what was it, about 
uh, a litre. No, no, three litres. They said, you can't lose any more than three litres. Otherwise, we've got to get her out, basically. And I was getting very close to that. Not three litres. No, sorry, half a litre. Okay. Um, and uh, I felt very close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't got three litres. <laughs> um, so, uh, she, yeah, just one night I was bleeding quite heavily um and I'd just been moved into my own room it was yeah. it was I was you know getting the royal treatment I love lovely. your priorities <laughs> <laughs> I literally I sent Phil a picture of the room saying wow I've got my own room I've got a view and the sunset's over there blah blah yeah. blah I'm gonna be here for two weeks nice nice rest um but actually that night I think it was the excitement mm. um that night I really started bleeding and it was about two o'clock in the morning um three o'clock that morning, I phoned Phil and said, something's going on. I think they're going to deliver her. We didn't know it was a her. We wanted it mm. to be a surprise. Um, I think they're going to deliver little Ted. That's what we called him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it. That's what we called it. Yeah. They're going to deliver little Ted tonight. Oh, my God. Um, so he he arrived and the surgeon said, yeah, we've got to get the baby out. It was all, it was suddenly, having been quite serene, even though it was a bit of a worry, but having been quite serene in hospital. Yeah. It was all a sudden, we've got to get this baby out. And that scared me a bit. Yeah. Um, Things tend delivered. to go like that with babies, I think. Like, you know, even in delivery, it's like, That's everything's true. fine, everything's fine. And then it's like, right, you've got 30 seconds. And then, like, the whole team comes in, they rush everybody off. And it's just like, you know, but it is, I guess, a split-second decision. You know, it's probably yeah. the, the last thing they want to do is a fully, in, I mean, obviously, you knew you were going to have a C-section, but they don't want to intervene medically mm -hmm. unless they absolutely necessarily have to. But then when they have to, it's probably an emergency. So, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. You know, so um yeah um, so that that was that was scary and of course with um I was actually completely out so I was um under general anesthetic because they thought with the the bleeding they thought it may have been the placenta mm -hmm. they also thought which I should probably mention actually I've got lots of fibroids as well and they'd actually um I think they call it resect some of them okay. so they basically shaved a few off um okay. and it was thought that the placenta had attached to the scar tissue of where they were removed and if that had happened they wouldn't be able to get the placenta out so they'd have oh to do it hysterectomy to me yeah of course so they did a classical an up down incision oh. and that's why they put me out completely because they thought basically it was going to get ugly and when it, we had a problem when have they done the fibroids um management uh, i've completely forgotten that sorry yeah. they had oh. done that at the same time that they did the dye test okay fine so they thought that might um improve my chances of getting pregnant and it may have done actually yeah it, it may have done god and then um eleanor was born yeah so our little miracle but <laughs> even that the world. yeah but she had um the agpa which is the yeah. test that they do at the beginning when a baby yeah. is born looking at their um kind of muscle tone their pulse them how they respond to you know treat uh, you know being manhandled and stuff like that it was one out of ten wasn't it yeah Which and we weren't very told that for days i think wow. she was really poorly um they had put me under right at the last minute you know they'd done all of the stuff on the belly and turned me at an angle and done everything and put me under right at the last minute because so that the baby doesn't get too much of the anesthetic yeah now they don't know if she got too much of the anesthetic or if it was just the her housing she was in inside yeah. me they don't know what was wrong with her but she came out in shock um and she was really really poorly 
Um, I wanted, ever for the, the photographer, I wanted a photo of her being born, being lifted out. And the midwife had promised she had my phone, she had everything. And I never got to say, why didn't I get my photo? But Phil reckons the answer was probably, it was basically a shit show suddenly. You know, it was so scary, she just They're couldn't do it. Just trying to save the baby's <laughs> life and your yeah. life. No, you know. Yeah, quite. Um, but yeah she was poorly and she was in the neonatal for um actually not too long maybe a day and a half um and then we were transferred back to winchester because that mountain had obviously had enough um and you're stable which is a positive thing yeah really positive thing you know i guess that's yeah it probably feels rather disruptive at the time but i think it's it shows that you know they were comfortable with you guys yeah exactly Exactly. And I was high as a kite for <laughs> days. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, when we were back in Winchester, she went to Neo... I don't think they call it neonatal in Winchester, but whatever it's called, the special mm. unit downstairs. She was there for just a night. Um, and the weird thing about how it all happened was I was in Winchester. I got to Winchester without a baby. And oh. obviously I was in Southampton without a baby. So I wasn't with Eleanor two, two days. I think I, wow. she was with me on the third day. Or the second night. Um, it been so and tough. And that was really hard. It wasn't... I missed her, but I didn't really know what I was missing, if you know what I mean, mm. because I'd had a cesarean. Yeah. I'd then met the baby high as a kite where I couldn't even turn over, so I was just able to put my hand out and touch yeah. her. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had a baby. So then suddenly this baby arrives at my bedside. Like, oh, and I think, my God. oh, my God. What do I do with that? <laughs> I think we all feel like that, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, um, so that was hard. And I think yeah. having gone through, you know, four, four or five years to get to that point, yeah. I then, I think, looking back now, I think I probably had a bit of depression. Or PTSD or, or, or something. Both. Just yeah. something, yeah. I had something that yeah. didn't feel right. And that took a few months to clear. Yeah. Did you have any? Did you seek any help, or did it just get better? I didn't seek any help, but we were flooded with um, visitors and midwives, and um, and actually, I was in hospital for just um, about two weeks, I think. Um, so we were, yeah, flooded with people offering advice then. But I didn't know I needed it then. I yeah, only know I needed it when I got home. Um, yeah. I, it, I I got through it. We got through it, um, and it just I. I'm not sure if help would have sped it up. I just, I just had to get over the, well, get over everything really. The yeah. IBS, the, the anaesthetic, the, oh my God, I've got a baby. It just took a while to just equalize. But also it's like, you know, it's not just all of that, but you've had, I mean, as you say, like it was like years of a process to get to. And, and it's the end yeah. of a big, you know, yeah. chapter and, you know, it's it's like the not the anticlimax because it's it's great because you've got the baby and you're it's, it's something to be super mm. excited about. But it is it's that like, whew, and then reality yeah. just slaps you in the face. You're like, yeah, oh does. my god, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And you're you know recovering from major abdominal surgery and you know, and like, then all the while trying to breastfeed. Yeah, that was mm. that was tough. It just, Which you did manage to do for a I while, did didn't it. you? Yeah, I did it for four months. But yeah, I would breastfeed, then give her formula, then pump. Yeah. It was taking up my Hell. whole day, and I don't know how I did it. And That's any, probably why the you had method, depression. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> there was just so much to do. I thought, 
I just wanted to lie on the sofa with my yeah. baby. Don't they, people do that, and I never did it. Yeah, they say that breastfeeding is a, the same as a full-time job, apparently. Uh, like, the yeah. amount of time, sorry. I can believe to it. Explain that. Yeah. That's, you know, um, I'm slightly conscious of time, and I don't want it to cut yeah. off before we leave. Sorry, no, no, no. It's, it's, I feel like we've actually covered all of it, which is brilliant, and it's been such an amazing story. And now, obviously, she's a thriving, happy, seven-month-old. You're doing brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're really well. We're really well. And I mean, am I right that you've been advised that you shouldn't have another baby? Yes. So the doctor, my Winchester consultant, came to see me and said, Philippa, please do not have another baby. And I said, oh, come on. It was just because I gave you too much work to do. And she said, no, seriously, (laughs) seriously, you did give me a lot of work to do, but um, your body will not, will probably not take having another one. Now, that's not to say that other women who have had trachelectomies can't have multiple yeah. babies. Of course, they probably can. And actually, I spoke to somebody today who reckons a lady has had three, wow. um, which like... is amazing. But I think because of all the bleeding and, the, yeah. I don't know, the shape of my body or something or other, because of all the complications, she just said, you will not, you will not have a baby born at 34 weeks. You'll yeah. have a baby born much sooner than that. Yeah, and so she she did scare me. Factors, yeah. yeah, and she did scare me. But then she also ended with saying, "You know what? You're already 42. Yeah, no, <laughs> don't exactly. push your luck." <laughs> yeah, but you've and you've got what you wanted. You know, that's the most incredible thing. And I just think, yeah, we it's did. an incredible story. What would you say to um, a younger you or another woman who has been diagnosed with cervical cancer? <clears throat> I'd say, um, well, I mean, the obvious thing to say is don't give up. Don't think that's that, that's it for you because right. it, it's not it definitely isn't yeah there's so many ways i mean you'd be prepared to put a little bit of work in but yeah you know yeah i think it's, it's yeah exactly i think you know the the truth in the, you know uh, in the, the pudding isn't it you know you you went through a hell of a lot but you you came out the other yeah. side and i think it's yeah yeah really and that's not to say we didn't want to give up there are a few times during ivf when I'm we sure. thought oh my god we can't we can't do this anymore yeah but yeah, don't get I up. know a lot of people actually who, um, you know, I, a friend recently has just got pregnant. She was just like, oh, I just don't think I can go through this again. And, you know, he's like, don't give up. And now they're, you know, mm. six months pregnant. So it's great. But, yeah, um, brilliant. Thank you so much, Philippa. That's such an incredible story. I think the one thing I want to say is that um, from what I've read, the best way to protect yourself from cervical cancer is to go and have a screen. So it's free. Yeah. Your doctor will write to you if you don't know when your last one was or you don't know when your next one is, call them up and find out. Um, and um, if you do have any abnormal signs or symptoms, such as abnormal breathing, in between, uh, breathing, bleeding, in between um, periods and things like, uh, you know, after sex or um, um, after your menopause, then go and get it checked out um, because... Mm. You know, just it's just your you know life is there to be lived, as you say. And we of course, it is. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, it short. still is. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Amazing. Listen, thank you so so much. Pleasure. It was so fun, actually. Yeah, it, was, it was fun. I hope I've said everything I wanted. I, to no, say. I think it's been brilliant. You've described <laughs> it all really well, and I think we've covered like. You know, as you said, there's a lot to be said, and you've, I'm sure there's so lots that you've missed out. Yeah. But people can yeah. contact you if they, if you're okay with yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> um, of course. You know, absolutely. If you've got any questions, and we're going to have it on our IGTV, um, on Tinto app. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Shall I? Re- should we respond to some of these comments? Oh yes, yes, yes. Go for it. 
that, most, one of the most inspiring stories oh, I've ever heard. That's lovely. There you go. Ah, <laughs> perfect one to end great. with. I it is. I'm going to now because I don't want it to cut off. But um, okay. thank you so much. And I'll speak thank to you. Soon. All right. Take thank care. You. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.